Welcome to Simon and Whiten, the podcast at the crossroads of media, business, and politics. I'm Christian Whiten, joined as always by Mark Simon. Mark, please say hello. Hey, everybody. How are you? Well, the president is going to Asia, believe it or not, and we're up more than a year and I guess a quarter, a third into the Biden administration. Feels like longer, but uh, we're there and he's finally going to go see our two, I guess, strongest allies, you would say, most important allies. Don't want to insult the Australians, but he's not going to Australia. He's going to Japan and South Korea. Um, And, uh, uh, you know, there'll be the usual descriptions and compliments and, oh, we have an ironclad alliance and things are great. And actually things are, I guess, pretty good. Um, You know, as a conservative, I like the fact that there's finally a conservative government in South Korea. Japan always seems to have one, not on economic issues, but on on security issues. Um, But this sort of highlights the lack of what the administration is doing in East Asia. There's been no shift to the Pacific. There's been no increase in the military, despite the fact the federal government is spending money like it's going out of style. It hasn't led to a single extra submarine, extra destroyer, extra cruiser, God forbid, an extra aircraft carrier um, in the Pacific, despite this growing threat from China, and also nothing economic. Uh, And Mark, I sort of roll my eyes. You talk to Asian diplomats and some say, well, America needs an economic peace to engagement in the region. And oh, shame on you for pulling out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And the Japanese still love to hit us with that. They think maybe we'll rejoin. So the administration has responded with this U.S. Indo-Pacific economic framework, but there's really just nothing to it as far as I can tell. So I don't know. What do you think about um, Biden's engagement with the region, what's going to happen, and whether we really need some economic thing or not? First of all, TPP basically failed. And I I remember because I'm I kind of like trade agreements. I mean, the multilateral stuff doesn't really get me all excited, but I, I think it's a good tra- trade's great. I think trade is how you cement ties and how people get rich and people you lift up people's lives. You know what I'm saying? Uh, give me a choice between sending an NGO into a small poor village <laughs> or sending a group of businessmen, and I'll tell you, everybody will choose. Everybody knows what's going to happen right away. Um, look, TPP. The problem with TPP is I still remember I read at least five of the economic impacts of TPP and they're mean it was meaningless it was really there was nothing there maybe i think the one one had like it would make 5 billion dollars a year difference but then but then regular growth in in just trade just growing actual natural trade would have made like 3.5 billion you know at the worst case scenario so in other words if we had a boom year in other words it means nothing look Trade happens between companies and between people. Government just needs to get the hell out of the way. You drop tariffs. You I, I'm, you drop tariffs. You get other people to drop tariffs. You first, most importantly, get people to drop regulations and you do well. That's right. Biden, Biden is going to go over. It's going to be all security all the time, which is probably not a bad thing, but the question is, will they address the elephant in the room, which is Taiwan? And, you know, what are they going to do to solidify our relationships in the region? We have really, I, you did bring a good right to bring up Australia, but essentially it's basically in Asia right now, it's everybody against China and everybody. Like you said, thank God the South Koreans are finally, you know, starting to look at this. I mean, of course, they've got the fat madman to the north who, you know, mm-hmm. they want to, they always have to keep an eye on, but they know China's <laughs> little rocket man. Rocket man's always going to be a problem. 
anybody, whether it's Rocket Man or Rocket Girl, his sister, if she takes over, they're always going to be a problem for the South Koreans. But they also know that China is a real problem for him as well. And, you know, he's going to have to address everything. I know we talk about the Solomon Islands, you know, the, 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 the Guadalcanal, where the Chinese are trying to set up. Of course, they're trying to set up bases. They're not just down there for a reason. Yeah, that upsets the Australians, but it upsets the Japanese and the South Koreans just as badly. Because if you ever look where the Solomon Islands are, there was a reason the Americans fought the Battle of the Coral Sea in 1943. And that was because basically if you control the Solomon Islands and you control that stretch of sea, you cut Australia off from everything. You know, it's over. And so I just think the thing is with Biden, he's going to he's going to Japan, going to South Korea. Um, 50, 50, if he pulls an HW Bush, H Bush and goes in somebody's, you know, stuff, I would assume he'll have the lightest schedule in history. In other words, I think the, the mm. Japanese will be cooling their heels all the time, waiting for him to come out for 20 minutes and this and that. That's fine. We've got air force. We've got a big air force plane. He has to fly in. It's really nice for the staff. Everybody gets excited about these trips. That's all it's going to be. I don't expect anything substantive. Hopefully, Austin will be along with him and the other defense guys. <laughs> but right now, when you talk about leading from behind, as we are in Ukraine, you know, where everybody's kind of setting the agenda but us and we're playing catch up. I think we have caught up pretty well, but I think not still we're still not. I mean, Boris Johnson is the one giving speeches in front of the Ukrainian parliament, you know, and right. we're the ones paying thirty three billion dollars for equipment. But nobody seems. But how much of a word do we have on that? My the same thing in Asia. Basically, right now, I think everybody's looking at the Japanese as the leaders of the defense initiative there. But we're the one who has the aircraft carriers there. I, 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 from a, from an economic point of view, expect nothing though. It's going to be yeah. nothing. When you read the agreement, as you read when we were talking earlier, labor sustainability. Oh, I got it. Let me let me go through it really quickly here. Um, so this is from the U.S. Trade Representative, puts out a statement after she goes to Singapore, wastes the Singaporean prime minister's time. He was a good sport, but I called it the Seinfeld economic framework, the framework about nothing. But here's the readout. Ty, this is the U.S. Trade Representative, highlighted the United States' desire to work with Indo-Pacific partners to establish a high ambition uh, framework that advances resilience, inclusion, sustainability, and the interests of respective workers and entrepreneurs in the United States, Singapore, and across the region. So I read this and I'm like, this is like a, a framework for transgender owned windmills or something. Sustainability, inclusion. I don't see anything about increasing GDP. You put, you made a very good point, I think, which is, okay, tariffs are one thing. And I think, you know, I'm actually more partial to them, especially as applies to China than some. Uh, but the deregulation part, which is really what, what, caused the Trump boom before the Wu flu right. put an end to it. And if we could create a forum in East Asia that gives cover to governments to make those types of reforms, that's the way you could really juice the economy and stick it to the Chinese. But that seems completely beyond the uh, constitution of Biden or, or frankly, some of the, you know, uh, hey, I love Japan. Uh, I think they're a great ally. They're quintessential, but they sure aren't, they sure aren't free market capitalists. Well, at least mean, not we, have, we have to understand they just don't believe it. OK, that's mm -hmm. the whole, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I blame everything in Asia on finance people, everything, <laughs> because all they care about is getting into the system and then they will find their way to make money with all the regulations and everything else. They'll bitch and moan about, oh, there's so many regulations here. 
but they'll, they're happy to work within it as long as they can make their money. Just mm -hmm. like a banker, whether it's 6% interest rate or 7% or 8%, they don't care because they've got their, you know, 100 basis point, 150 point basis point margin on top of it. Now, of course, it means maybe less economic activity, so they care about that. But really, as far as their business goes, you know, they're just moving. We have inside the Biden administration probably the most hostile group to manufacturing, to oil energy, to fuel energy of anybody. Imagine having a conversation with the Filipinos, the Indonesians, the Malaysians about, um, about basically fossil fuels. Oh, yeah, we'd like, you know, you're already basically having power outages and your people sometimes don't have enough electricity to power the refrigeration. But how about let's not let a crisis go to waste, a.k.a. Samantha Powers. And, <laughs> you know, why don't we just all go nuke? Why don't we just all go solar? Go into nuclear, maybe be OK. But no, I mean, look, people, just so they know, nothing's coming out of this trip. M nothing not even security-wise. Lately, I'll give you a little bit of a scoop. It's going to start coming out. The Biden administration is now slow-walking Taiwan arms purchases, from what I understand. I heard that. Right. Yeah. Well, and do you think just the stores of those, some of the things that they want to buy, you know, this whole porcupine idea that tell Taiwan, don't buy F-35s or stuff that's crazy expensive that'll take a long time to get Which to I you and won't yeah. last. Buy uh, anti-tank missiles, buy anti-ship missiles, buy mines, sea mines, landmines, things like that, that all that stuff is going to Ukraine and uh, therefore is. Taiwan is going to have to get in line. Yeah, I, I've heard the M109s are maybe not be going. Those are the big self-propelled artillery. Somebody told me that the other day. Maybe those are going to Ukraine, but I'm not so sure. But I always think I'm one of these guys that believes if you call up a defense contractor and say we need more, I've never heard him say no. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Please, that's no, right. We, we don't want to sell you more guns and weapons. No, 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 that's not what we do. You know, but I, I think the real problem is, to be honest with you, is, is that, you know, again, look, they're, they're decommissioning ships because they're going to say we're going to divest so we can't invest. Oh, God, yeah. That's, you know, I mean, I, I, I spend enough time in Asia. I see enough defense guys. It's hard now. You don't see the guys in Japan that I used to see all the time because I can't get up there or Singapore. But they're all rolling their eyes. I know those guys. They're like, whatever. You know, and that's why the Japanese, you know, who are moving weapons, people forget this, those small islands above Taiwan. Japanese are putting a lot of stuff down there now. Right. And, and, and I think people see the trigger now between Taiwan and China, I think people see Japan being the trigger as much as the U.S. That's the thing. Everyone's expecting this would-be war, which hopefully never happens, to yeah, be uh, just China attacks Taiwan. And it's you know sometimes you can actually predict the cause of a war with accuracy, but often I don't know. It's not you know everyone contrary to the view that Pearl Harbor was a complete surprise. It was in the sense that the target was a surprise, but everyone knew that war was coming with Japan. They just thought the Philippines would be first, but there was an elaborate plan. I think it was War Plan Orange that was going to be implemented if, as expected, the Japanese attacked the primary American possession in the Pacific in 1941, which was the Philippines. Now, they got it the day after Pearl Harbor, so that's why it was a surprise. But similarly, in war with China, I don't know, maybe it's not an attack that's on um, Taiwan. Maybe it's a preemptive attack on uh, Okinawa on U.S. bases there that would bring the U.S. and Japan in. But maybe China thinks that even if we're in, we're not really in, that we'll just do something token. So I, I, I sort of agree with, I think, with what you're saying there, that this may not 
play out the way everyone seems to think. I, I, I think it's I think it's incredibly I've heard so many different things. And I've, I've actually been to five or six of the post sessions for the war games over there, just largely because they're nice guys, you know, and <laughs> you, you agree not to talk about it. But I'm not one of these ones that sees it so clearly. I, I think basically we have to really look at the Chinese now and they're not as capable as we think we are, as we learned with the Russians. And I think it could go a lot longer and it could be a lot deadlier. And I think, quite frankly, I just I'm I'm hoping that people are fully understanding that. But let's get back to this trip. The trip's nothing. It's going to be a waste. Right. Of time. You know, one little uh, footnote on the Solomons and Guadalcanal, which was, of course, a huge fight for the United States Navy Marine yep. Corps team. Very, very bloody. I can't remember. Was the Marine Corps or the Army? It was, it was MacArthur's Marine region, Corps. I think. For I think that both part of them, south. Actually, the Army. Yeah. Marine. Um, reading a book now on the Coast Watchers. We were predominantly Australian. A couple of Kiwis, a couple of odd Norwegian here or there. But people who were there spying on the Japanese behind enemy lines, um, sometimes with friendly natives and oftentimes with friendly natives that became less friendly as the Japanese kept winning. But great book. I'll, I'll put it in the YouTube description of this video. I can't remember the full title, but good stuff. On that note, switching gears completely, um, although there is a China angle to this, of course, is Disney. Um, you know, and we talked about this with Twitter. Everyone's looking at the political angle and the politics and who made the right decision, who made the wrong decision, whether you should assuage your commie employees or not. Um, but uh, it, Disney also seems like a very poorly run company. It's If you look at the stock, it doesn't pay a dividend. And you think that is the exact type of company that would stable relation, excuse me, stable situation that just generates cash out of throw it off to shareholders, not a steep growth company where people are going to be like attracted to amazing capital gains because there aren't any. Uh, but what do you think? Good run company, badly run company? I think it's an awfully run company. I think the last, I think Bob Iger is the most overrated CEO ever. Largely helped because his wife was basically the dean of the USC journalism school. So there was nothing but good press. Bob Iger's <laughs> last five or seven years have been a disaster for shareholders. Myself being a shareholder a few times, you know, and then giving up and then getting motivated and then going back. Let's look at what Disney has done in the last. And I, I think if you look at let's if the Soviets will live with the five year plan, I'll live with the five year plan. If we look <laughs> at the last 10, five years or two five year plans, last 10 years, Disney's done. OK, but the last five years, four years, it's been a dog. It's been nothing. But why is that? It's because they don't do anything. Let's face it. The, what's the last creative thing Disney really did? Okay. What's the last? Let's. The, what's the, I'm sorry about that. What's the last creative thing Disney really did? Pixar. Mm -hmm. Okay. But who drove Pixar? Steve Jobs. Huh. People forget that. That's why Jobs became such a big holder in the Apple, you know, Steve Jobs, because they were part of owner of, 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 of Pixar, you know, Apple. And so Steve Jobs. So Jobs basically gave them all that freedom and all that excitement that you have in Silicon Valley. And I, I you know, for those who don't know, we actually had an animation company for about up until almost a year ago, you know, not even a year ago. You know, we had 500 people in that company and we did work for a lot of people. Nobody was ever impressed. I was always amazed nobody was ever impressed with Disney because what they said is Disney just buys the IP. Let's look at some of the things that Disney recently had. Nothing. 
There's nothing. <laughs> they redid. They did. They did Jungle Book. Okay, the cruise, mm-hmm. which they basically made a movie out of a cruise ship with The Rock and some other person. I watched the movie the other night. It was awful. You know, it wasn't very good. <laughs> they got their social justice thing in there halfway through. Oh, of course. Of course they did. And then, but what else has they done? They Well, they were brilliant. It was a brilliant move to buy the Marvel franchise. Okay. But, and they bought Star Wars, but they, they're buying stuff. In other words, it's kind of like a guy who buys things. Now, maybe you could say Iger was brilliant because he bought these things and he's making a lot of money of them, but he paid pretty good for them. You know what I'm saying? And the fact is, in my mind, they are a company that is based on IP. This is a company that you had a, a visionary there in Walt Disney. I mean, you know, there's a few people out there that are like that. Even Stan Lee at, at Marvel with all these characters, because people forget he didn't come up with all of them, but he picked the ones to champion, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, DC Comics and all these things. These these people knew what they were doing when they were setting up because they had a vision and they knew how to bring talent together. I don't think Disney knows how to do that anymore. I mean, look at Pixar. Pixar has had nothing. Everything Pixar turns out is like, you know, it goes through committee. Lasseter got done in because basically he was sexually harassing somebody, which is not good. Okay. And it shouldn't happen. But what did they do? What was their response? Their resp- I happen to know their response. Their response was they stripped everybody of any type of authority for creative and gave it to the committee. And they've turned out crap ever since. Pixar with, with Marvel Comics and you know the Avengers and, oh, people love it, Spider-Man and all this stuff. That's not their content. They're just making stuff. But my point is, imagine, imagine buying a company and, you know, it's supposed to be creative company. And all you notice, all they do is they don't have any ideas themselves. They just buy everything. Mm-hmm. And then they're trapped in these awful relationships with nations. For example, in Paris, they've got a trade union there. And I, I was, this is, a, you know, <laughs> of course, they, they got a trade union in Paris that basically lines them up every month. You know what I'm saying? You know, and defiles them. I mean, you know, gets what they want. So it's the yeah, Paris, yeah. The Paris like eight weeks of paid vacation a year. Yeah, they're never going to get profitable. Uh, Orlando. And of course, uh, California, they make pretty good money on. They've got a few other things that go on. But who who set that up? Did it? I mean, you're really going to credit Bob Iger with Disneyland and Disney? Yeah, World? well, we've well, learned done. recently it was it was Walt Disney himself who uh, yep. got what the he, sweet what, deal what, from what Florida. Disney, what Disney has managed to do, and I I know this sounds really odd, but they've managed to basically now turn off enough people that there are people who won't go to Disney World now and Disneyland. Mm-hmm. A lot of Christians don't want to go there because they don't, you know, they don't want their kids going there. Just like there's a lot of feminists who don't want their daughters running around, you know, in pink little, you know, Disney princess things. You'd be, what you'll, you'll experience that one day. We experience that where all the mothers are upset because you go to a birthday party and there's 50, you know, princesses there, whatever they, you know, they're all wearing the <laughs> Disney stuff because that's what they want to be. But you, it's, and it's, it's mm-hmm. almost impossible to keep them out of your pocket. But the point is, is that, this is a company that's not particularly well run. They're not creative and they're not churning for the shareholder. It is phenomenal to me, really, to be perfectly honest with you, it's phenomenal to me that this company 
um, has the management reputation that they have because they haven't done that much with anything. In other words, I want to see people creating things, not making Jungle Book 2, you know, not taking Star Wars and and really just making all these ridiculous things off of it that aren't doing as well as they think they are. I mean, you know, and you look at it, now we've got Thor and now they're making this. Of course, people they're they're getting they're they're maximizing the IP. How about creating some IP? How about creating some stuff? In fairness to Netflix, who was having a miserable time, and Hulu and some of these other guys, they do create some stuff. You know, they they do have some new people coming up. What does Disney have that's new? Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing coming out of there except for something completely political correct that they're not interested in. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's just ridiculous. So I I, I tell everybody, give Disney a hard pass. I I think I think they're finished. I'm not going to invest in them again. I don't see anything happening. And now the company's been taken over. But I'm not saying this because of the culture wars, but that's what brought me to the conclusion. Yeah. These people. Well, it was so dumb. It's 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 like these companies saw BP. I can't remember if it was 15 or 25 billion is the cost of storming out of Russia. Now, maybe eventually the government would have required that. Maybe their shareholders would have supported that, but they made the decision on a weekend and now they're out $25 billion. Now, Disney entangling with not just the governor, but also the state legislature of Florida. Um, I mean, what is that, the cost of that change in you know who controls the municipality where they're located? It's going to cost Disney a billion bucks a year. I mean, that's real money for a company of that size. Uh, and just to do that flippantly without any thought because of your woke employees, it's just, I wonder if if we are at the forefront of, I mean, first of all, just because we, of where we are in this economic cycle, um, that we've hit peak corporate earnings, that people are going to pull back on consumption because inflation is out of control and because uh, the Fed is no longer injecting all of this cash into every little corner of the economy. But uh, in addition to cyclical trends that we are reaping the harvest of mediocrity, um, the PC surge in corporate America didn't begin with Donald Trump as a reaction to him. It really got underway pretty hardcore under Obama, where there was so much PC, so many diversity hires, uh, so much inattention to merit. Uh, to, to qualifications, real qualifications, not just credentials to experience. Uh, and I wonder if, you know, across the board, airlines, entertainment, um, you name it, where we're seeing just the, the product Elon, of bad management. What does Elon Musk not have? He doesn't have a PR department. What mm-hmm. did Steve Jobs really not deal with very much? A PR department. What did Jimmy Lai, my boss, not have? A PR department. Who was powerful inside these organizations at, at at Microsoft in the past and that other companies on when Baumler was there. Wasn't the HR person, it was the engineers who wanted to do things. It was people who came up and said, hey, we're gonna go into this section of robotics. Let's go out and hire the best guys in robotics, okay? And they went out and hired them. And then they then when somebody came in, they'd say, oh, you know, we don't have enough diversity in the robotics section. Okay, you guys go out and get me some other engineers who we can plug in here. But they did, that didn't drive the business. One of the things about Disney, again, to pick on Disney, and I enjoy picking on Disney, is (laughs) look at what happened with Disney in terms of like recently all their political work. 
and they hired this new person. The person who, she's an Obama-Biden public affairs, public relations person. Well, she's the person that's going to work with the company. That person should be a back office person. Why do we know who this person is? Why do we know who all these top people are? The most important people at Disney should be the creative people. And they're not because they're not a creative company anymore. You're not. Why? I prompt, let, me, let me tell you one thing that happened one time. I was involved in a company one time, and they put out three reports, okay, for their annual reports. All three reports talked about their cost-cutting exercises. And then they were talking about how well they're cutting costs and well they're cutting costs. And the boss said, dump them. Because he said that the accountants are in charge now. And sure enough, he was right. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we sold our stake. But the point being is, is that the PC stuff, I thought there was a pretty good tale that was said the other day, and I'll credit him, Douglas Murray said it. We had this conceit in the conservative movement that once these kids got out of their gender studies programs, once they got out of all their other, all their other left-wing stuff, they would go into the real world. And in the real world, they would have to adjust. Mm -hmm. Not the case. They yeah, are, I thought that they too, are but I was wrong. Just quite a bit, but they are finding places for themselves. It's like at universities. The greatest thing that's going to happen at universities in the coming years is they're just going to get rid of all the fluff. The problem is a lot of the fluff has made themselves very difficult to get rid of. You know, it's like at the at, at the height of its trouble, at the height of its trouble. The New York Times, when they before they started really turning it around, they still had in their corporate affairs and their other, they still had 10 people, 15 people. Yeah. Well, the way they were doing, now they've turned it around and they, they've recognized and they don't have that many people anymore. But my point is, is that I think when you look at companies now moving forward, the point is there's a lot of people who are out there. I was listening to somebody the other day. Have you ever heard the term bullshit jobs before? There's a book called uh, Bullshit no, Jobs. Uh, it's a, yeah, well, no, I, yeah, I have heard of it. I don't know much about it. Yeah, though. I got to find it and read it. I just read an article from it. And the guy says, there's a lot of bullshit jobs out there. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of jobs. And if you have, if you look at corporations, how many people, you know, do you, know, do you, do you look at? I mean, I've, 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 we've taken, I remember we took over a company one time I went in there and, you know, fortunately we had the good fortune. It wasn't that many people, but there was like seven people in this liaison office. And they were like, their job was to liaison with different ports and different, they had no job. They had zero <laughs> job. And they were sitting in Hong Kong, three expats probably costed us $600,000 a person. They Jesus. were part of a coordination center. Mm. And my boss came in there. And he's like, these people do nothing. You know, it's costing us $2 million a year. And they knew they had bullshit jobs. I remember when one of the guys left, he told me he can't believe his boss talked him into coming over because he said it, it destroyed his career in the company. He said, I lost three years here hmm. because he said, you know, basically it was just, I mean, he was, everybody knew they do nothing. You know what I'm saying? They're like the people at the end of the Zoom call that I, well, you know, thanks everybody, but we were just thinking, you know what I'm saying, you know, whatever, you know, that, that's what they were. And there's a right. lot of companies like that. And I, I look at Disney, I look at a lot of different companies out there, 
And I think they have to look through there and think, what do they do? Um, I'll give you some other examples too. News Corp. Mm -hmm. I look at News Corp, used to own their shares, their stock, their results come out in about an hour. Now I follow them, you know, I used to invest in them. News Corp, we used to invest in the New York Times. New York Times did pretty well. I look at the Washington Post now. The Washington Post now has got people everywhere because they're just milking Bezos's cash. Right. I just it's not just because I'm a right winger and they're left wing. Uh, so I used to get some crap in the Bush administration because I didn't read the Washington Post. And my view was if there's an important article or something I need to see, someone will send it to me. Um, and that was when Fred Hyatt was there. And sometimes actually you come across an op-ed I'd agree with. And then they went completely nuts. And in the Trump administration, no one ever criticized me for not reading the Washington Post. And I never got anything forward to me. Um, now, that doesn't mean they're not making money, although I don't think they are. You know more about this. But it just seems that the relevance there has been swirling in the bowl for a long time. Well, I mean, look, it's very hard for everybody. I mean, you guys remember Quartz. Quartz is now for sale. The they sold it to the Japanese for $86 million. Four years later, the Japanese are selling it for $10 million. I got a call on it from somebody the other day. It was like, I was like, no, we don't have that. We're not buying Quartz. You know, um, Lee, Lee Newspapers is being bought by Alden, which is the big hedge fund. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's upsetting people. Look, media is in real trouble. Um, when you talk about whether you like left wing or right wing, I think the New York Times is. The, I think in a way, many their the results just came out this morning at seven a.m. Besides mm -hmm. um, a stupid move in buying the Athletic, which I'll never figure out, five hundred million dollars in cash, they could have done <laughs> so much with that, like give it back to the shareholders or give you know do a few things. It, it, I don't think it's going to work out at all. It's already doesn't look like the, the numbers are already horrible, um, but the overall core product is pretty good. You know what I'm saying? I mean, in other words, they have a very good Death Star type machine. Now, it turns out stuff that I'm not always thrilled about reading, but they do a very good job. And I always tell people, if you ever try to place ads in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, New York Times is much easier to deal with. They have a much better business environment. I've dealt, dealt with both that of surprised them. surprised me. Times. I no, find myself reading them more during the Ukraine war because it's... They're partial to Ukraine, which is fine. So am I. But they are a little less in the cheerleading business and more in the reporting business, whereas the Wall Street Journal, to the detriment of their coverage of business, which is the primary reason yeah. for purchasing the paper, it's just a little bit too much rah-rah. Um, no, Murdoch. That's, that's Murdoch. I mean, mm -hmm. before, you know, Murdoch is the one who wanted to compete with the New York Times with them. So they've mm -hmm. got that ridiculous Sunday section where it's like Wall Street Journal culture or style, whatever, you know. This is the one that had Stephen Colbert, does. the left-wing quote-unquote comedian, on the cover, as if their readers want to flip through a glossy with uh, a bunch of pictures of, you know, what, Tiffany, and then uh, you get to read a 3,500-word story on Stephen Colbert. <laughs> it is. Nobody cares. Um, nobody wants anything. It's kind of like Fox. I remember telling Fox one time, a guy at Fox told me this the other a couple of months ago. He said, you know, everybody talks about the advertising boycott hurting, and it does hurt. He said, but Tucker's still $8,000 for a 30-second commercial. CNN is $4,000, and for whatever reason, MSNBC is like 3500 In other words, the, the thing is, you st that that's why Mr. Pillow 
is always at you know Fox because their right. viewers buy stuff. You know, right. it's the reason why the truck guys actually broke the boycott because I think it was Dodge broke the first one. They first went back and they were getting a lot of traction. And Ford goes, we got to be there too. And then Chevy said, we got to be there, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, that's, that's that. If I was Tucker, I would drive a Dodge all day long or something like that. You know, I'd do my video from a Dodge, you know, talk about how great <laughs> my Dodge is all day long, you know, just, and just mm-hmm. all, every, have everybody complaining and stuff like that. I've dealt with boycotts in my life. I know how to handle them. And basically Fox is, what do you say to them? They got the highest rating rate in town. But right. but then again, well, it's also, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I think it was you pointed out to me several, because Tucker, there was a boycott in 2020 and then I think in 21, an attempt, uh, including by the New York Times and its uh, mob of Twitty, Twitter keyboard warriors. But um, Fox, just Fox News that, you know, which is just one island in the News Corp archipelago, um, $3 billion annual revenue, and two of that comes from carriage fees. So a third is advertising. You don't want to give up a third of your revenue. But for Tucker, ironically, if you drive advertisers away, it cranks up his ratings, which means that Fox could justify our higher carriage fees and also gives Tucker and his guests more time, fewer commercials <laughs> during the program. Look, I, I got to tell you, I... Um, I had a company, we had a company that was advertising. And for some reason, you know, we basically put it into programmatic advertising, what we're looking for. And the ads ended up with Rush Limbaugh. This was a number of years back. So they they wrote the company. I was on the board of the company. They wrote the company. And, you know, they're sitting there. And this guy calls out, out of the blue. I get my, somebody, do you know you're advertising on Rush Limbaugh? I go, and you have to understand, I'm at Apple Daily where I'm getting boycotted all day long. You know what I'm saying? He goes, you know, you're understand advertising his radio station. And I go, no, I didn't know that. He goes, well, do you know what he does? And I go, yeah, I know Rush. I listen to him every once in a while. And he goes, but that's the type, but people are going to boycott your business. And I said, if you try to boycott our business, if I even see you near it, I said, I will sue you, which you can, by the way, I will sue you for basically defamation and everything. Now I'd probably lose, but. It would. And I know I sound ridiculous like that, but that was the only thing that you could say to the guys. Look, if, you, if you're going to come and basically call me an evil person for just, you know, running ads. And I said, I have no control over. It. I give them my I give them my uh, thing. And that's that. But what they can't what I know is this. See, they couldn't go to the programmatic and then say you can't advertise on, you know, on Russia's station, because you got all kinds of intimidation, extortion, you know, you just can't do those things. It's kind of a myth. That's why if you ever see some of these boycott organizations, you know what I'm saying? They're Uh very close about how they do stuff. You know, (laughs) Rush did a very good job busting these guys up. Fox doesn't have the, they they don't need to, but you, because you're right, they have the carriage fees. But, you know, if somebody calls you up, but imagine that's the world that we're in today, where some guy calls you, and it wasn't just one time, they call a number of times and say, you're, we notice your ads are appearing on this radio show, and you know we think you're supporting racism and all these things, and what if your customers <laughs> found this out? Well, if the customers found this out, I'm going to sue you for defamation if it's coming from you. Mm-hmm. you know? And they're like, because they're used to dealing with 
They're used to dealing yeah. with people back off. Well, and that's why the standard is so great that Musk doesn't have a PR department because the standard advice from a PR weenie would be like, oh, well, yeah, you better do what they say and pull your ads and let's uh, you know, make I, sure I, everyone I knows about our diversity program. That's very true. Look, the only PR people I really believe in are crisis people and what I would call strategic advisors at the very top. Keep everybody else out of the daily stuff. One of the problems you have in every organization is people try to make themselves important. And the PR guys are always in there telling you this is how it plays. And it's like, it, do, it doesn't matter. Have you know, you know, the Indian tractor, no, no, Japanese tractor, Kabuto or whatever it is. Kab Kab uh, that's a Kabuto. I'll, I'll look it yeah, up. They do, they, do, they, do the, they do the local tractors. I know this is a true story. They were told by their, they were told by their advertising company not to advertise with Fox. So they pulled their ads from Fox and their sales went like this. And who got on the phone with them was all their, um, who got on the phone with them was all their, uh, all their dealers saying, what are you doing? You know, people who buy tractors are people who watch Fox, you know? And so, I, so, so that was the whole thing. I mean, so the thing is, and why'd they do that? Because some PR guy said, you know what I'm saying? You shouldn't do it. Disney's the same way. I hate to go back to them. Disney makes their money on families. Families go to Disney, okay? Unless they're very strange, older men who you know, go to Disney by themselves. You know, <laughs> Michael Jackson. Yeah, I've never understood mm -hmm. that. But fam Disney is a family business. Disney is, is movies that families want to watch. And you've got people there that are completely after they hate, they hate their customers. They really do. They really do. You know, that's why Ben Shapiro is not always my favorite cup of tea. And I don't think he'll do it right, but he is right. I mean, you look at some of these Christian movies and some of these other things coming out, they're going to find a market there. I'm not so sure that Mark Wahlberg's father, Stu, which is rated R, is going to be the market for Disney. But other people will f start to find stuff. It'll it'll start to show up. You know, right. I mean, people are it's start it's starting to happen now. All right. Well, on that note, we're out of time for this episode right, of Simon White. <laughs> Tune in again for another episode. Another episode soon. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>